0: So I why got do you new, have the
1: school why do you have the school rubric logo there
0: isn't this sponsored by school rubric
1: oh okay all right <laughs> I guess
0: <laughs> I mean it's, it's the only place it's on the school rubric now uh, okay well so. you know I'm, this is a little bit of branding a little bit of you know any way I can promote okay. our never to make profit nonprofit Um <laughs> <laughs> profit, no profit, it doesn't matter. We're not in it for the money. Welcome to the TBD, the To Be Determined podcast. Today, we got an exciting show for you. Today, we're going to be talking about cameras in the classroom. Should they be there? Also, the Joe Rogan Spotify situation. It's a doozy. Critical race series, CTR. Everyone's talking about it. What is it? Does it belong in the curriculum? A recap of our Australian Open predictions. Who won? Who made the best predictions? Finally, we're going to discuss a name for this damn podcast and get things started with talk about being a dad. Welcome to the TBD, baby. Uh, How do you like being a dad? I love being a dad. I mean, it's just, it's, I have a, um, um, enormous amount of respect for all the parents out there i mean it's just it's it is a huge undertaking it's like i mean you know it's like this this like this morning we started an hour later i'm like god i could actually sleep in a little bit later now 5:45. guess who was up um and then <laughs> we were doing you know we we celebrated valentine's day this morning so i had organized like a huge like valentine's day like table with stickers and books and things like that. So that's what we're doing and um, making pancakes. But it's yeah, it's I I just can't imagine doing this when you're like 20s in your 20s. It just seems like the most insane thing for any human being to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I would say about fatherhood that I've learned is you have it's almost as if you're thinking about somebody else more than you. And being is how I've never been in a healthy relationship with a woman, um, and I went through a divorce, I never felt that with a woman to the degree that I do with Philip. And of course it's different with a woman versus your, you know, a child. But I think for me, it's this constant wanting him to do better than me, be better than me, learn more than me, do the right thing, and just this constant drive. Um, I assume here in Indonesia that you probably have something similar with, you know, your nieces and nephews, um, and just wanting to, you know, wanting with a passion, yeah, you know, whatever is best for them.
2: I think that's fair. I mean, I, I I imagine it's intensified as a parent. There's no doubt about that, but I think I have a, a, a sense of it. I do. I do see that, uh, when I'm around, especially the ones that I've seen grow up like in a, like more consistently, you know, um, or, and who are, who are far enough of age. I, I just think about yeah. how, yeah, I think that love, I think that the the love is probably and I, and immediate, and but, maybe, it, but it grows. It grows. Maybe the difference
1: something. between, I, I can't, again, I can't speak for years experiences, but Ryan, I don't know about you as a father, but like for me, the other thing that's kind of a persistent issue for me is I'm always worrying about Philip. I'm always worrying about, Does he have what he needs? Is he happy? Is he well-adjusted? Am I spoiling him too much? Am I too tough on him? You know, um, I just desperately want him to be happy and be good and find success in life, whatever that means. And I know that those building blocks of success are constructed and, you know, those foundations are laid now. So I'm constantly in a state of worry about Philip.
0: Well, I think that's the nice thing about having a wife, right, is that, that the, the basic right. needs and those sorts of things are the worry of the, I mean, my, my wife is so worried about that that I don't worry about that at all.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah, I, and that's I fair. Have- and I think, I think my worry, I mean, to be honest <clears throat> with you, I wasn't that worried when I was married and we were all together. And since we separated, I have this heightened sense of duty and obligation and responsibility because in many cases, I felt like I left, I, I let him down. Because it's not his fault that we're separated and divorced. It wasn't my intention to bring a child into this world and not consistently have his mother and father at his side. And I think we've made the most out of the situation. And I think we're both probably better off um, separately and we're better parents separately than we were together, thus the divorce. But I do have a heightened sense of this responsibility that I feel towards my child because both parents are not around
0: yeah but i think the, the the responsibility that i feel is like all of the you know two things is one is that like i want my child to be exposed and do all the things that i didn't necessarily get to do or wish i would have done um and so it's like you know like i i wish i would have gotten into music so music is a big part of what we do in our family now and uh, the other side of things that I never expected as a parent is the coolest part about being a parent is reliving your own childhood. So like you have all of these moments where you're just like basically remembering being a kid and imagining your parents. be So there's this whole like reflective piece of like being a parent of just like, God, I remember when I was this age, I remember doing this. I, I, I want to do this and you by, I, I learned a lot when you were with, uh, Philip, when you're down here, because you, you do such a good job with Philip of explaining the why behind everything. Like, yeah. you know, I, I just, I, we, so when we were here, we were looking at all the different houses that are building in our in our neighborhood. And like Wallace's does a really good job of always sort of like looking at something and then saying like, all right, Philip, let's understand this, okay? Why is insulation being put in the attic? you know, why is the house being constructed this way? Oh, look, here's where the the water comes into the house and sort of, uh, and that's a really fun aspect of being a dad is just sort of looking at everything through the eyes of curiosity and understanding. Right.
1: I think that's the most important, like if there was one thing that I could like pass on to my child, it's just kind of to always be inquisitive. Always ask yourself why. Always be inquisitive. Always think about the the fundamental purpose behind things. And I think you do that through a lots of text and lots of reading and lots of studying. But I think you also need to do that through a lot of experiences, right? And so that's kind of why I mean, it wasn't. I, it's always been my goal to travel with them a lot. Unfortunately because of the pandemic, we weren't able to travel as much as we wanted to. But I think, you know, we just went to Washington, DC. Uh, we're going to San Francisco over spring break. We are, uh, I booked a ticket to Columbia for the summer. And I think we have a few other trips that I'm kind of planning. And he's at an age now where it's so fun to travel with him. It's incredible. It's an incredible experience.
0: You guys got to
3: just... kid. have kids. Yeah. Can I just relate a story? Because I, I don't have kids necessarily, but, but I mean, like Dinesh, we have nephews and nieces, but I have two nephews that I'm really heavily, not heavily involved, but I see them all the time. And we just got them into skiing and on tennis a little bit, but skiing is like the big thing. And you could see just the progress of how they they experience it and enjoy it and their creativity involving it and the the, the way they, they interact with things and um, it's it's really int- it's really interesting just to see how how much progress they can make within just a few months of just learning something it's really really cool actually so anyway that's just my show.
0: you guys gotta have Morning. kids
3: yeah. <laughs> I mean yeah, yeah. Hey, but, but I I, I oh, like giving them back that's the thing
2: this is my observation of you Ryan I'm not uh, I don't know you I'm getting to know you better right but I can observe, I can see how you really um, love reliving reliving your childhood. I see that in how you, just the kind of shenanigans that I'm going to use that word in another context. Shenanigans that you get into with your child with your child when you go to the airport and things like that.
0: You know, no, it's 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 the it's the most amazing part of it, right? Like you get to be a kid again in some respects, right? You get to like, you know, you get to see everything through the eyes of uh, of somebody that looks at something and finds pure joy and pure like just that's right (laughs) it's It's just
1: it's amazing to see a child get excited about something Mm -hmm. and you know there's obviously different ways that we think we ourselves get excited about things and there's obviously different ways that we think our children get excited about things but there's no better feeling in my view as a parent to see that your child has learned something and is having fun and is truly excited about something. Um, and it be, almost becomes like a drug. You mm-hmm. want to create more and more of these moments to make them happy, to make them learn, to make them joyful. Um, and I think that's just kind of like the gift that keeps giving as a parent.
0: Yeah. Like, I mean, yesterday I went to Trader Joe's and Target, and you would have thought I was going to goddamn Disney world. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 like you know like we pull into Trader Joe's and they give out stickers and my daughter was so freaking pumped because she's going to get these stickers at Trader Joe's and then like afterwards we were getting valentines for our school tomorrow and we pull like we're pulling into Target and she didn't know we were going she's like I love Target yeah yeah um
1: yeah. <laughs> let's let, let's talk, let, let's just get on with the agenda um let's talk about cameras in classrooms i think that's the first topic that we wanted to talk about um just to kind of set it up i sent you guys an article in the chat i hope you guys had a chance to read it and maybe do a little bit more reading but essentially in iowa the great state of iowa there's a representative there that whose name is Norlin Momsen. And he has proposed a bill and a legislation that will um, uh, provision for uh, cameras in classrooms. And so he's equated the presence of cameras essentially to police body cameras. And if this legislation is passed, then that means that all public school classrooms that aren't being used for special education or gym would be filmed. And then parents and legal guardians would be given access to these live fields. Uh, the, the live feeds, um, as you can probably imagine, teachers' unions have come out largely and strongly against the notion of cameras in classrooms. So the question and the discussion for today is: Do class do cameras belong in public school classrooms?
0: No, <laughs> no. It's a quick answer, and I, you know, I, I just think that you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea, but you know, we want to. Encourage more talent to get into teaching, right? And I can just imagine, you know, I, I can imagine looking for a job and then telling me that they were going to have a camera watching me the whole time I work and looking at the screen the whole time I'm working. That would just be such a turnoff for me accepting a job. And I can't imagine uh being constantly monitored by camera as I'm working.
1: Karen, no, on the grounds of. I mean, I mean, how
3: many ways do you want me to explain why not? I'll, I'll go with uh, five of them, how about this, all right? Uh, firstly, we prevent teachers from being any type of creativity. I think they'll probably try to think about the cameras before their own creativity because they may end up being misinterpreted, especially if there's no audio like a uh, body cam. Uh, it's a waste of funding. According to this Iowa teachers and this, this article, they believe it's a waste of funding because why don't you just employ more teachers? You know, reduce the class sizes. Use the money for that reason. It's a violation of the students' uh, privacy. I mean, what if a, if a parent can't has to see all the classroom? You can't see your own t- student. You're going to be seeing the whole classroom. So it's a violation of the privacy. Do you want you as your as your uh, teacher uh, as your own father as a father to have everyone else to be able to see your kids picking their noses in the classroom or doing whatever kind of weird things they're going to be doing? I mean, you know. What else? I mean, and then you're going to be punished for it too. Like you're going to get docked 5% of your salary if you happen to block the classroom accidentally, for example, right? And then you can lose 5% of your salary for that week. And then the superintendent will get penalized as well. These are just, I, I mean, these are all the cons that I can give you. I can give you more and I'll stop.
1: Dinesh, thoughts, are you? Uh, uh, well, I want to know, Dinesh,
0: what if, what, if your, what if your administration at the college said that they were going to put a camera in your colleges to observe everything you were doing? I'm curious what your reaction would be.
2: Yeah, sure. It's funny that, uh, that these questions fall on me um, because, you know, you guys aren't in the classroom. you teach your you know, there are various ways in which we're all connected to education and even teaching, I think. But um, yeah i'm in the more formal the formal role still i guess and i would say that uh i would i would i find that pretty um uncomfortable and um it would definitely be a disincentive to me wanting to continue to work there although um it wouldn't be a deal breaker but i i certainly would dislike it very much um i think that i think ryan and karen you're making great reasons, you're giving good reasons for why this is a bad idea but i think that there might be another reason um i'm I'm just considering this one i think what you said is the best reason but maybe but it might be a privacy violation against the teacher herself right not just
1: how so how so
2: um it depends on what's meant i don't know is it meant that it's going to be they're going to be live feeds all day every day because in that case i don't i think there has to be a limit on i mean what
0: I mean I, mean, the the I, I mean, I think this yeah. privacy
1: issue, I, I see yeah. it as a technical issue, because mm-hmm. I think that if it's passed via legislation, then, you know, it's almost like a vaccine mandate. Teachers will have the opportunity to not continue employment if they don't want to, to work under, you know, that mandate or that legislation that has been passed. And I think from a technical perspective, you probably could either ask parents to, opt-in so that their children could be seen, or there's probably some sort of technological thing that could happen where you know, kids' faces are blurred out, but then you get the audio feed.
2: I mean, but I said, I said it depends on what's meant. I mean, if we mean, well, I didn't specify though, like between audio and video. If it's audio and video all day, every day. I think there's a moral argument, whether or not we would ever legalize it, there's a moral argument against allowing that in any job. But maybe I'm wrong, I'm just throwing it out there. I think that Kieran and, Kieran, yeah, Kieran and Ryan have maybe the, the, the best argument, but I think that that's a secondary argument. Because I, yeah, it seems weird that we would live, that we would allow, maybe there are fields that have that. So that's why I can't, it's not clear to me. Um, but at some point, wouldn't most of us consider that to be a, a moral, wouldn't there be a moral argument against, like, doesn't, doesn't that fail to respect the dignity of people? You know, if we just like are are surveying uh, surveilling them all the time, right?
1: But I I, I but again, there. I think you're equating being into the classroom, and I mean, if you want to make the connection, I think that's your you know your your opinion. But I think there's a difference between being surveilled in the sanctity and the privacy of your own home versus a professional context in which the method of surveillance is disclosed in advance. I mean, I think there's a difference. I'm not saying that the reasons that that you all are articulating are wrong about being uncomfortable and being disincentivizing and dismotivating to teachers. But I think there is a difference between kind of when when somebody says that we're disrespecting their, their dignity and their privacy.
0: Well, I think, you know, one thing I'd like to ask is what are the positive outcomes of having video and audio in the classroom. And I, I think yeah. there are like, you know, I think I think the, the big one is I've always I've always sort of preached that if you're if you're presenting to an audience bigger than one or bigger than the classroom, like when you're on a stage, you do a better job. Right. And so like if you're presenting and you know you're being filmed and your audio's on, I can almost guarantee that more teachers will be prepared. It might affect creativity and things like that, but they're going to be They're going to make sure that they have their um, common core goal up on the, on the board. They're going to make sure that they've actually planned out their lesson, that they're, they're kind of doing some of those best practices. And we all know, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this as a teacher, that there's been plenty of times that I've gone into a classroom and been like, all right, uh, (laughs) I don't have shit planned for today. I've got my, uh, you know, my Rolodex of things that I can always use that I know are going to work in the classroom, but I think it would make, make me do a better job of, of being planned and prepared. And, you know, knowing that, Hey, I, a parent could tune in and watch me. I think that's maybe one of the good things of it again, though. I, I think you're just going to have a whole slew of people that are going to say, screw this. There's no way I'm going to do this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this legislation is a counter, is, is a is a knee jerk reaction um, to something that's larger happening in our society, which is basically that parents over the past couple of years have felt really disenfranchised about schools. Um, I think we've all seen parents going to school board meetings and taking very strong positions on either side about, you know, mandates and uh, masks and all of these different things, critical race theory. And I think that um, there's a big divide between parents having choice and being able to have a say in their children's education versus not. And so I think this is kind of a knee jerk reaction about trying to provide more accountability. Um, I think it's well-intentioned, but I think this is probably swinging the pendulum a little bit too far. Let me give you an example. Let me give you um, a story that I can share. a couple of weeks ago, I um, had a meeting with my child's teacher and I had a number of concerns about how he was doing in school. Not because Philip is you know, not a smart kid or he's not doing well, but the report cards came out and the period one marking period to the period two marking period, the report card was identical. There was no change in comments. There was no change in you know, rating. I wasn't getting any information about it. I asked the teacher to meet. And the teacher said, Well, we can only meet during, you know, because of, you know, district policy, we can only meet during Zoom. So I went on the district webpage. There is no district policy. There's a district policy that adults need to be masked, but there's no district policy about not meeting in person. And I had, uh, you know, a couple of real concerns. Like, let me give you just a couple of examples. Um, It dawned on us over November, December that Philip needed glasses, and he never, his, I mean, he was in school for five, six months. The teacher never figured out that he needed glasses. And he sat, he sits in the back of the classroom. He also, whenever he got glasses, he told me that other kids had made fun of him. And he had told the teacher, and I had emailed the teacher and I'd gotten no feedback on whether in fact that was really the case or she had taken corrective action. Another example, um, he was, you know, they do this, math program called iReady. It's an awful, awful program, but it is adaptive and they have different levels. And they probably spend about 20 to 30 minutes on the iPad each day doing that. He's on the AA level, which means that he's doing like one plus one and one plus three. And you guys know, I mean, I'm a math teacher. He's doing up until until his 12 times table. He's, you know, multiplying two-digit numbers by two-digit numbers at this point. So how could they get that totally wrong? And then I even talked to them about getting tested for gifted. And the response was, well, our school policy is that we test all kids in second grade for being gifted. And they failed to mention that i have the right as a parent to request a gifted examination at any time so what is what is what is my point to all of this my point to all of this is that if i'm unhappy with what's happening in the school and there i've just iterated you know articulated a, a number of things that have made me very unhappy as a teacher uh, as a parent then what recourse do i have against the school You know, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to a school board meeting and become one of these screaming parents? Am I going to go to the superintendent? I mean, what am I going to do? Do I have a choice of really taking my kid to another school? I really don't. And so I guess for me, looking at it from that lens, even though I think cameras in classrooms is a pretty bad idea, I kind of throw my hands up in the air and say, well, where's the accountability? Where can I do? Maybe if there was a camera in the classroom, I'd know where he was sitting. Maybe if there was a camera in the classroom, I'd know if other kids were bullying him or not about his glasses. Maybe I'd know if you know he was on task or not. Maybe I'd know what the heck he's doing because I'm not getting any feedback from his teacher. So I do look at it from that prism. And the other thing I'll say is, you know, as a principal, I think a lot of times you end up with these issues and he said, she said, oh, he started it. He, she started it. Oh, the teacher did this or the teacher did that. And a lot of my time as a principal was try- spent trying to figure out what the heck actually happened let's establish that first because there are three four five versions of the same story and if you can't establish as a fact what happened and what was said then you can't take the corrective action and cameras might actually help solve that
0: yeah it's it's funny you say this because my I just had a situation with my daughter at and my daughter's been in full-time school now for two weeks and really has only gone. a a selective amount of days because she already got sick but you know I picked her up on Friday and that's that was day four and um they had to get assistance for her and and I'm like reliving my childhood as 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 this is happening because I was a pain in the ass but the same situation it's like you know we set her down for nap she had this huge fit crying and as parents we come home and we're like well, this didn't happen just because of a nap. This had to have happened for some other reason. And right. we're only getting it through the lens of the the teacher. So like, was it that she was hungry? Was it that another kid was bugging her? Like, so how do you, when you get home, how do you deal with, like, how do you address the issue so that you can make correct, correct? You can put things yep. to correct the problem so that it doesn't happen again. And it's like, I don't really know. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> And you know, Ryan, the other thing that we see happening a lot is I think we see a lot of children, you know, some young children, as a matter of fact, kind of secretly taking out their cell phone and filming their teachers. And I think that you see a lot of times these teachers going on these diabolical, you know, rampages or or rants, and sometimes you see other kids getting into altercations. And I think that when that happens, as bad as that is you actually have a sense for, okay, this is what happens. The teacher actually really did say that or the kid really did in fact do that and you're able to get a glimpse of that. Well, why do we need to kind of rely on a student furtively whipping out their camera and filming it when we could just have a camera filming the entire classroom and everyone informed that that in fact is happening?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, how many
1: times do we call into a call center and then we say, you know what? This call bay may be monitored or recorded.
3: Well, I see, I see your point. Listen, I actually see your point quite a bit. And you know, you're starting to turn me on having cam- cameras in the classroom a little bit, but I-, I can't have a live feed. That doesn't make any sense to me. I think that seeing it in the retrospective or using the camera as a tool to help teaching more effectively, A, is a good idea. I think that's a good idea. Um, but and, and to understand if this teacher is a problem or there's something going on with the classroom, I get it, put the camera in the classroom, but it should not be for the parents to understand and see it all the time. I, I think if, if the administrator has the opportunity to take a look at it and, and we do it in a very uh, collective and creative way and constructive way to help the teacher improve the teaching, I get it. But I don't think parents should have the ability look in i think you need to trust your teachers i understand your frustrations and yeah maybe the ultimate thing is to move the 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 student to another classroom to improve the teaching uh of your of your of your son but i mean i think i think uh i think that's a little i think you're overstepping it when you're bringing the ability for parents to see a live feed or even to see the feed without without uh consent you know what I mean? Yeah, so that, I mean, I, you know.
1: Kieran, I agree. I mean, as bad and and as divisive as some of these policies related to uh, masking mandates have been, I think putting cameras in classrooms is going to be equally divisive. And obviously, I think that you know, you know, my positions on masking, where I think that you know, parents should be able to make the choice for their children, and I kind of understand and you know, am supportive of cameras in classrooms, at least the idea behind it. But I do think that it would be very divisive. And I don't think that's the way to solve our problems. But I think the bigger issue is that we have a large group of parents and a large group of stakeholders in our communities that basically feel like they have, there's no accountability for schools. And they are really not having a say in the direction or the decisions that are made at schools. And schools are such a personal issue for you know for, for everyone because it involves our kids.
3: Yeah.
1: Dinesh, any concluding thoughts?
0: Um I don't know. Let's I test it on, think... let's test it on Danesh and see how he does. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um I think, well, I do have. Maybe one other thing to say. I think that <laughs> I don't want to be. Te- I don't want it to be tested on me. Although, um, I think that I could see why. You know, I can understand your frustrations, and I certainly think that teachers need to be held accountable. I just don't think that we need to take the most extreme measures in order to do that. And I think that we should honor. I, the more I think about the, the argument I was giving, the more I feel motivated. I feel. I think that it has some basis. I think actually, this is. If this were ever to become mainstream beyond state politics. And and into national politics, this is what legal scholars and lawyers and stuff would be, this is what it'd be on these grounds, these privacy grounds, that they'd be arguing for it. Against it, I mean. So anyway, I think there's something there, but I don't um I think that the strongest argument is the one that the one that, that you gave Ryan and you gave Kieran, you know, ultimately.
1: We don't want to I mean we want to
2: incentivize we want to incentivize people to go into the field of teaching, not disincentivize them, right?
1: Yeah, I mean again, I mean if I was a teacher. I probably wouldn't feel very good myself about an administrator or somebody telling me that, Hey, look, there's going to be a camera in your classroom. so I, I I fully acknowledge that. At the same time, I kind of look at it from the perspective of, well, if I have nothing to hide, then why don't I do it? And I mean, you remember, Kieran, when we were at Newtown, there were a number of conflicts that we would have with students in classrooms. And that was, I think, before the whole you know, smartphone, cell phone, record all the time happened. Um, and a lot of times it became a he said, she said thing. And if there was a camera that had recorded what had gone on, then I think we would have avoided a lot of these issues. So
3: yeah, but that's, I think that's part of it. Honestly, I think part of, I mean, obviously we would avoid it, but I mean, that's part of what life is, is that you have these conflicts, and you have to work through them. And part of being in a school is to learn how to deal with deal with these conflicts as a student, as a teacher. in, in the it's not a real world, but it's it's still kind of like a, a facsimile of what what people are going to go through in the real world anyway. So I mean, yeah, Karen, Karen, I agree.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you, and that's why I kind of mentioned. I think this is a knee-jerk reaction, but I think that our school system and the way we are holding schools accountable, the way that we are resolving conflicts, the way that we are engaging with parents and students and administrators, I think is broken. And I think that that's why people are so frustrated. And then you have this politician who's trying to score some political points clearly, and comes out with something that is way, way advanced and way kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Um, But I do think that Hopefully, if it opens up a space for not just us, but actual people who are education policymakers and can make a difference to have a conversation about these things, then I think that will have been a good thing.
0: Well, before we get to the next topic, what would be a different solution to what you're talking about? This device of parents, like what would be uh, another solution that they could implement before something so dramatic?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, again, I mean, I've said this many times on the podcast, and I'll say it again. I think that we have to be able to provide our student, you know, I think we need to be able to provide our parents choice. And I think I believe strongly in in school vouchers and I believe strongly in the funding following the student. So I agree that, you know, locally, informatively, there need to be better ways for schools to communicate, school, you know, parents to get trained and parents to get support and ways to kind of try to solve the problem at the lowest level. But I also think that if I'm ultimately unhappy as a parent, I should have the ability to withdraw my child from the school and have the pure pupil spending that is expended by the state on him, be it $4,000, $5,000, $6,000, and I should be able to take that money and put him in any other accredited school of my choice. Yeah, and it? I can find a school, I can find a school that is more in line with my educational values um, that do the things that I'm hoping that he will get out of an education, or I could put him in virtual school, or I could, you know, put him in some sort of accredited program. And I think that is what we're missing because there's no accountability.
0: Yeah. What I, what I like about that is first of all, that's, that's why we started school rubric is, you know, this, this personalized choice for your students and being at that voucher program. What, what's interesting about that is then if you had schools that actually implemented that because there would be incentive to innovate and try new things, right? Then you might see some schools actually do that. And heck, that might work and they might get a better education. They might end up paying their teachers more at those schools because they're right. they're driving more kids to that school. And then all of a sudden you'll see a system that actually is working because people are trying it. And then all of a sudden, you you know, people start pulling their kids and putting them in that school. Yeah,
1: because education is such a, such a different thing, Ryan and guys. I mean, it's, and, you know, I think I said this before too, but you know, what is, does a successful education look like? And it looks very different for different people, because some people might say, well, it's a successful education. If kids get into top tier universities, another one will say it's a successful education. If you know, they are socially and emotionally well adjusted. Some people will say it's a good education if they made friends and they had fun. Other people will say, well, if it's slanted towards sports or it's slanted towards mathematics and science or arts or whatever the case is. And so I think that there, is, there should be an opportunity for parents to align their values in education with different institutions. But right now in the public school system, you know, you live here, you go to this school and you don't have a choice. And if I decided to enroll Philip in a private school, then I would still be paying taxes that go to the local public school and I wouldn't get any support financially to enroll him in a private school. So I could, but it would be totally out of pocket. And so that lack of accountability and that lack of choice, I think is what is creating these, uh, these circumstances where parents feel disenfranchised and then we have these knee-jerk reactions on school board's ends, on politicians' ends, on parents' ends, creating lots and lots of conflict.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's funny because when I, I'm, my kid is in preschool, right? So we pay for it and we do have choice, right? Because we're paying, it's, it's, right. out of, it's out of pocket. And that that's exactly what you go through when you're looking at those pre-K schools. There's one that everyone is saying is the school that my kid should be in, which is, right near where we live and it's, you know, I wouldn't visit the school. I was excited about the school, but it really is all about playing fun. That's the school. And for me, that's not like my, I think that's important, but like, I was also like, can I see the curriculum? Can I see what you're doing with like letters and sort of the rigorous sort of things that like every school has, and they don't really have that. And, you know, like great. They have the music, which is really important to me. Like, and so like I end up putting my kid in a school that is less, it looks more like a classroom. It's got the creative elements in it, but it's also got more of like a a set curriculum. And, and so in that case, that's where my kid goes, because yeah. that aligns more with what I want for my kid. I don't want I don't want her just out in nature playing all the time. Like, I mean, that's right. Just- and, and,
1: and another parent might think that another parent may want that but you don't. And to be clear, I don't think this is a privilege issue either. This isn't if, you know, hey, look, you know, you you earn a six-figure salary, and so you're entitled and privileged to be able to make that choice. What I'm trying to say is I think that every parent should have a choice, and I think that every parent should get an average per-pupil spending to follow the child, you know, regardless of who their child is or where they live, to be able to make that choice. And I do think that, some if, if we were in a system like that, some parents would say, hey, I have X amount of money to spend, so maybe only these schools are the ones that I go to, and maybe another parent might say, well, if I have X dollars to spend, I'm going to use that, and because I have you know the wherewithal, maybe I'll spend more out of my own pocket to put my child in another school, and I think that's what we need to be doing and moving towards in our education system.
0: All right. On that note, let's, let's get to our next topic. And before we do that, Kieran, can you fix your goddamn framing? I mean, how many podcasts do we have to do to like, un- understand that you need to be framed center? I'm not- framed center. What you are you are not- talking about? Look
1: at, <laughs> he's a little bit, you're a little bit off to one side.
0: I mean, I mean
3: my- I'm moving around. What do you want me to do here? All right. Are you, are you happy now? Is that better? That,
0: yeah, that's better. You should be your head needs to come up a little higher. So it's the rule of thirds. The, sit up straight. All right, there we go. There you go. God Is damn that it. Better? Yes. <laughs> All right, Joe. Anyway. Joe Rogan. Let's talk Joe Rogan and the Spotify controversy. I think let's start things off by saying who actually listens to Joe Rogan's podcast here. I do.
1: I don't listen, I don't listen religiously. Um, I listen to clips. And there's yeah. probably like a few guests that I've been really intrigued by. For example, Elon Musk. I listened to those podcasts in their entirety, but most of the Joe Rogan stuff I've listened to have, have been YouTube clips.
2: Wallace, yeah. I'm not sure if you remember, but you, re- you actually um, sent that to me. We talked about it a little bit. Do you remember that?
1: No. Uh, what did oh, I, well, I say?
2: So I thought maybe you were, <laughs> I thought maybe you were a big Joe Rogan fan. Um, well, I mean, because- I'm a fan, but I mean, I don't, I don't have the
1: attention span to listen to three hours of a podcast and I think he's coming out with podcasts like pretty regularly I mean, isn't there like a new episode a day or something
2: I think you just yeah. liked. by the way I think you just liked the Elon Musk interview in particular yeah like you were just telling me how much you liked the conversation they had
1: Well, oh, I love Elon Musk and I think he's the most important human being on the planet but mm-hmm. that's another conversation for another time but anyways go ahead Ryan
0: well I, I think it's interesting to say, well we all know that it's, he's the controversy of course is he's they're they're essentially censoring what he's saying. Spotify is in a lot of trouble because they've given a $100 million contract. And a lot of the things that he has said on the podcast have been controversial, specifically in related, relation to um, COVID. And so uh, as a result of that, some other things in his past podcasts have come up, particularly the, using the use of the word, the N-word. And now Spotify, um, because before he was independent, right? He was just recording these and he gained a huge following. He especially gained a huge following when he started actually videoing these and putting them up on YouTube. Uh, And that's where he really gained a a large following and has, you know, in some ways he's the most important. uh, I think he's the most listened to podcast uh, in uh, everywhere. And so he's important to Spotify because he's, he's also increased subscribers but now what they're doing is they've taken down certain podcasts that he's uh doing uh the spotify employees are absolutely uh a lot of them are upset because of the things that he's saying and then you've got people like uh these artists that are actually pulling their music like neil young which i think is so ironic that you have these artists from like the 70s who are preaching you know free speech that are now on the opposite side of uh, the spectrum saying uh pull them down or I'm taking my music off of the platform which they have the right to do so it's I I just think it's a I I think it's interesting I I myself I I love listening to Joe Rogan um I if if there's he's not my go-to podcast but if I don't have like new episodes in my feed for something else then I just I'll go listen to Joe Rogan
1: so Ryan so Ryan what's your take on the whole Joe Rogan situation I mean do you think that he deserves to be censored or canceled or you know he's been doing something he needs to fundamentally change the way he's approaching his podcast
0: no i i I think it comes down to like i mean i agree with like 50 percent of what he says i mean first of all he's just a freaking comedian bringing on people and having long form Mm -hmm. conversations not different to what we're doing here and in terms of having like you know he's just bringing people on he's a very curious person he i i think he's great in in that he brings on people from a wide spectrum of viewpoints and has a conversation with them and he does i mean i half. i mean half the time he's smoking weed sometimes he's eating mushrooms while he's on the podcast i mean how you can take things as and he's a comedian (laughs) like i mean why is everybody's taking this so seriously like you know listen to him make your own judgment and your own uh opinion of things and and use and it's it's helpful i mean he's had you know i think you shared in in the in the tbd um in our group that you know he's had like michael olsterholm on there he'll have snoop dog he'll have uh elon Musk. so you you i enjoy it because you're able to sit down with people that like are cultural icons and and listen to them for two to three hours about you know important things, but also just stupid things.
3: But yes. I think I think that you know, um, I, just, I like I like Joe Rogan. I've liked Joe Rogan for a very long time. I mean, I'm a big UFC fan. I think he's gotten me into understanding and liking the UFC more, um, and he's very knowledgeable about that. So that's why I really like him, and that's why I got into him, and that's why I, probably why I saw a show on the feed of my YouTube. Um, I think, though, with uh, now that the podcast is where it is and he's getting paid this much money because of how big the podcast is and how big it's gaining you have with as as the Spider-Man saying goes with power comes responsibility. So, I mean, you need to he needs to actually think. I know that he's just jiving and riffing and there's only occasional things that they're pulling out of a three hour podcast. And I get that because most of it I agree with you, right. Maybe not fifty percent. I think I agree with a little bit more. What's his response?
1: Rap- you say you say with great power comes great. Right? What's his responsibility?
3: His responsibility is to be more is, is to be more uh, like to understand what he's saying and really reflect about it before he actually just dis- discusses it and gets and gets his guy. Um, what's his name? Uh,
1: Robert Malone.
3: No, no, no. His um his uh, his uh, fact checker, right? To fact check pretty much everything that he says about COVID. Whenever he's talking about COVID, it needs to be fact-checked like crazy, right? So um, Jamie, his, his, his producer, needs to fact-check that every time we talk about it. Otherwise, then then, then there's no point in having a conversation because this is a very controversial uh, part. So whenever they start talking about COVID, at the very least, because he fact-checks basically everything, right? Oh, Jamie, hey, get that video up. Oh, Jamie, get this thing up. Oh, Jamie, let me let me see the stats on this, right? Oh, Jamie, pull this up. Well, you should be pulling it up for everything, especially when they're talking about COVID.
1: Dinesh, I'm curious what you have to say or what your perception is, because it seems like Ryan, Kieran, and I are Joe Rogan fans, and we're to some extent in it, and we may have some preconceived notions. What do you think, having taken a fresh look at this as someone who doesn't really know too much about Joe Rogan up until this point?
2: Sure. Um, actually, I didn't hear what you said, Wallace, like the first time you spoke right after Ryan, because it cut out um, my audio cut out. But um, I am thinking, well, the first thing that comes to mind is what actually Karen said that uh, about with responsibility, with power, there's responsibility. This That's similar to something I think I said in the first, I think it was the first um, episode that we, that we were together anyway. And... Um, I think we were the examples that we had. So the issue had to do with um, famous people who had like a platform to give their opinion, and I think um, I think what I said it, I would have to sort of go along with what Kieran said there in order to be consistent with what I was saying there, um, in the sense that I do believe that, you know, as it relates to politics, we all have a right to say whatever we want, and. Um, for Neil Young, and perhaps it is ironic, Ryan, for Neil Young to do that, but on the other hand, um, I guess, you know, all of us are agreed that he has a right to do it, certainly, um, even if it's ironic, right? Um, but I would say that there is a, morally, right, as, on a personal level, we all have a responsibility to, I think there is a greater responsibility when you have a, more of a fan base, more of an audience, and a lot more people are are looking at what you're doing, looking at your content, and taking it very seriously. Now, it sounds like um, people are taking Joe Rogan a little more seriously than he is intending to be, right? Because he's, he's he's, he probably sees himself a little bit more as a – well, as an entertainer, as a comedian. And so I think all of that needs to be straightened
1: out as we sort of um, – Did you Did you guys see what Jon Stewart said recently? He came out and supported Joe Rogan.
3: Yep, I saw that. And and
1: John, I mean, John Stewart's a pretty left leaning Democrat guy. And I think he basically said something to the effect of, you know, what he did on the Daily Show many, many years ago um, probably today might be characterized as misinformation or disinformation. um, And so people need to stop taking things so seriously particularly because joe rogan's podcast is essentially an entertainment show right
3: but he has a but joe john stewart has a bias i mean john stewart knows joe rogan they know each other he supports him so there's a little bit of bias here going on you know it's not like he's a, a an opposing viewpoint here yeah he does, i mean they basically do the same thing i mean pretty much the same but thing john, but, so, I mean, but john comedians
0: but John's,
1: serious topics
0: John Stewart's come out and talking shit about uh, who's the guy that took over his show. Um,
1: oh, Trevor Noah.
0: Well, Trevor Noah and or then who, Stephen who, Colbert. Stephen Colbert. He's talked about how you know exactly that those guys avoid certain topics because they're altering what they're saying for their audience. And then all of a sudden, if you have everything fact checked, everything, hey, I've got this great responsibility. Now I gotta, I gotta be this sort of person. Then it turns into like Fox News and. Uh, I mean, uh, NBC News and all these these programs that are are literally catering towards their audiences.
3: But I'm not talking about fact checking everything, right, all the time. You just said you just just, said you just just said they need to fact check
1: everything with COVID. That's what you just said. When they start talking about
3: COVID, it needs to be somewhat fact checked because there's so much controversy around it. Why not make sure that it's really ultimately the correct thing for everybody to understand?
1: Okay, so so Kieran, I I you know I think the phrase of 2022 and 2021 is follow the science. Okay. No, and, that's,
3: not that's not right. That's okay, what whatever. But I mean, how, I
1: mean, if you had, if you had, I mean, do a drinking game. If you go on a news report and you see Fauci, you know, Walensky, CDC, whatever. I mean, how many times are people are going to say follow the science? And I think the problem here is that people are looking at things as if it's a black and white thing. It's true or it's not true. And I think that's the fundamental issue when people say follow the science. People talk as if science is a black and white thing. And I agree in some cases, science is a black and white thing. But for something like COVID, which is a pandemic and a virus, I think there, is, I think there should be space for reasonable scientific discourse and i think the idea is that you have a theory you test the theory you have a discussion and all of these different things and i think the episode that really got people irked was the one where we he had robert malone on there and i don't know if you guys listened to that one but robert malone was the scientist he had you know he claims that he was one of the founders of the mrna technology which basically is, you know, led to kind of the whole vaccine effort and the way vaccines are developed as we currently know. And anyway, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I listened to it. And I thought he had some compelling arguments. And he actually, I don't know if you guys know this, he got COVID twice, and he got and he's also vaccinated. So he's not anti-vaccination. But he wanted to bring to light some of the things that were happening, especially with, you know, ivermectin and some of the other things that, you know, had been criticized. And I think Joe Robin was a pro or is a pro ivermectin person as well, because when he got COVID, and I think they talked about natural immunity and all of these different things. Anyway, my point is, you know, he he said a very important thing, I think, Robert Malone in the episode, which is. He got, canceled from, he got canceled from LinkedIn, so he got booted from the platform. He got canceled from Twitter, so he got booted from the platform. And his point was, and he actually said, I may be wrong. I, may, I don't assert that I'm 100% right, but I think we should have a discourse and a dialogue about it. And he said, if somebody like me can't have a discord and dialogue with it with his, with his credentials, I mean, he's an MD, he majored in biochemistry and biology from UC San Diego, UC Davis, got an MD from Northwestern, Um, had worked on, you know, a number of vaccine and other, you know, pharmaceutical efforts. If he can't talk about it without being canceled, who else can? And I think the same thing is true about Joe Rogan. I mean, Joe Rogan is a podcaster who's curious, getting people from all walks of life, having open frank dialogue and has a huge listenership well if he can't say some of these things then and 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 fear not getting canceled then how can people like the four of us who are just trying to get together to talk about things not live in the same fear
3: i didn't realize the context of why this i mean if this is the truth and this is why he's getting why joe rogan in this context with talking to this scientist. And having this conversation, uh, a regular conversation with a, an actual expert, because this is actually why he's the fact checker, right? In a sense, so thus uh, you're talking to an expert. The expert is giving you the information. You are then having the discussion with the expert. Thus, it's a conversation that it should be legitimate. Okay. Yeah, and, and I, so I, Joe- I, I don't, yeah. I don't disagree with that. Okay. Yeah, and I, I, I think, think Joe Rogan, legit-
1: Joe, Joe Go- I think Joe Rogan's response was pretty spot on, which he said. That he's a curious guy, but he realizes he needs to incorporate more voices from different perspectives, and he committed himself to doing that. In my view, I think he already did have different views on. Um, As an example, he had Sanjay Gupta Gupta from CNN on. And, you know, he's obviously, you know, part of the big liberal media machine and, you know, has a certain point of view that he's purporting. And I think they had an interesting conversation. And now he's having somebody like Robert Malone, who obviously is taking a different view. And I think he does and did um, have different perspectives on his show. And I also like the response from Spotify. Um, Now, I mean, they did agree to put some... You know, warning labels and you know things like that on some of the episodes. I think they also removed some previous episodes, but they didn't cancel Joe Rogan. And I think the other thing that they did is just as Joe Rogan got a hundred million dollars to move his, you know, podcast to Spotify and make it exclusive, I think Spotify also announced that they were going to invest a hundred million dollars on raising and amplifying the voices of you know, other people who were from marginalized and disenfranchised communities, which I think is awesome. Because ultimately, I think the way to, um, you know, to deal with free speech is to have more free speech. I mean, the solution for free speech is not to censor things that you don't like, or you disagree with, or you believe are untrue. I think the idea is to have more free speech and more discourse um and i just don't understand this whole cancellation rhetoric
0: and he's not you know and, and to to you know he's not saying that he's not wrong i mean that's the thing like i mean just like what you said like he's going to try and be more balanced like right he had i think it was uh he had the guy that you brought on which i hated that episode by the way with the the malone guy and then at, right after that he had jordan peterson who's kind of a kook and has some crazy ideas too right. and so like You know, he's like, you know, I was wrong. Maybe I should have made sure that in between there, I brought somebody else on that had a different perspective than uh, Dr. Malone or whatever that guy's name is. And so like he's trying to have a more balanced approach. He, you know, he came out and apologized for obviously all the, the use of the N word that he used, which is, you know, uh, they, they brought, you know, I think, I think they took down like 70-some episodes of his podcast where he actually used the N-word um, that from his previous episodes, which obviously is concerning. But, you know, I'm, I'm with you. Like, you, you listen, like, first of all, for me, what I love about it is all of these people I would have never had the opportunity or be, ever been exposed to had they not been on Joe Rogan's podcast. So I'm I'm actually getting a perspective of, how people think differently than myself and that's that's important to me
1: can we talk about this this n-word thing that joe rogan is you know that that video that came out and i think there was also some flack that he got about some comment that he made about planets of the apes and going to the movie and, and, and something of that sort um I think that, I mean, I tried to look for some of the clips where Joe Rogan had actually said the N-word to get the full context, and I couldn't find them. Um, I obviously saw the montage video of him saying the N-word repeatedly, but it seems like, and again, I haven't watched the ep- or listened to the episodes because I was trying to find them and I couldn't, but it seems like to me from at least what I read, if you think about the full context, it was that he was not saying it in a derogatory or hateful way but he was using it in order to kind of make a point and quote somebody and doing all of these different things and i do think that the rules you know 10 or 15 years ago about using the n-word or the the social etiquette may have been very different now if you don't agree with that and that's fine then we need to understand that our president joe biden also has used the n-word on multiple occasions Okay. And so why is he not getting flack or being canceled for it? I also find very interesting. You guys can go to YouTube after this. I actually Googled Biden and using the N word. Okay. I actually Googled it. And when I, or not Googled it, put it in YouTube. And when I put it in YouTube, the results were all Joe Rogan. Strange. And then I put it in quotes because you use the same thing. And then when I put it in quotes, the results of Joe Biden actually using that word came out. So I guess we need, you know, we can't have selective outrage, is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Like I personally wouldn't feel comfortable and don't think it's appropriate to use the N word. Okay. I don't think I've ever used it. And I don't think I ever will want to use it because I don't think it's my word to use and it's inappropriate. no, but no matter what your feeling on it is, if you're going to have outrage on, at Joe Rogan for using the N-word in whatever context he used it, then I think you can't be selective. You need to, where, where is your outrage against Joe Biden?
3: Hey, can I, can I just bring up one other thing, all right? Because this is like uh, on the other side where a black person was using a derogatory word about a white person in a context and it was leaked out. So Mayor Adams was uh, using, the, using uh, a derogatory word for white people. Referring to in a speech that was like supposed to be private, referring to uh, cops that were uh, doing you know bad things to uh, you know being critical to black people or you know killing black people. Let's just put it that way, all right. And he was calling what these cops, these kind of these kinds of cops, right? Blank cops, all right. And or whatever these blanks, all right. I'm not going to say the word. I think Ryan understands what I'm talking about, but would you, Ryan? Are you offended by the mayor of New York who was doing a political speech to a bunch of black people and was asked a question about these kinds of cops? And then he uses the word in the, the answer, according to what I know, at least.
0: No, I'm not offended, but I don't really get offended. <laughs> I don't really get offended, but, you know. I, but do you think they're... that's
3: right? Do you think, that's, a, you think
0: that, that's problematic too? And should he be canceled? i i think it's problematic i mean I, for example with you know wallace brought up the the joe rogan stuff and, and if you look at what he said for the planet of apes it's pretty it's it's horrible what he was in that in that context it was absolutely you think horrible. it's do
1: you think it's, did you actually listen to the planet of apes
0: yeah because he's he's i mean he's he was stoned. talking
1: about how he got stoned out of his mind and went to go see planet of the apes right in a neighborhood that he had no idea, and it was majority Black or all Black, and he was kind of talking about some of his experiences, my viewpoint was he was stoned out of his mind, A, and B, he was probably stoned out of his mind when he was talking about being stoned out of his mind, but he, in my view, he parlayed that or as a relatively positive experience. He just, I think he was describing about how the Experience was different, and how people from the audience were interacting with the movie.
0: Yeah, but it sounded horrible. I mean, you're 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 associating a black neighborhood with the Planet of the Apes, like in any context. I don't think that's yeah. I mean, the optics of
1: it aren't the optics of it aren't very good. But I guess the bigger question, the biggest question is, is Joe Rogan a racist? Do you think that Joe Rogan is a racist?
0: Absolutely not.
1: Kieran, do you think Joe Rogan is a racist?
3: No, but he shouldn't have been using the word.
1: I don't think Joe Rogan is a racist. And I think that he probably made some questionable choices and questionable ways that he characterized his experience that he obviously regrets and has said that he's regretted. I think that his apologies that he put out were, you know, came across to me as sincere, but... I think there's a lot of people that want to see him canceled. Did, and did you? Did I, you? Did I, I just you, don't think that's the way. I, I don't think that's the right thing to do.
0: Did you see that they just pulled? Yeah, yesterday was the UFC fight. They pulled him as a commentator for the UFC I fight saw because, that. because Disney's in the in charge of. Uh, they own, I think, the rights to UFC. If I'm, I, I could be wrong on that, but like, and they during the press conference, one of the fighters uh, uh, came out and was basically like you know, Joe Rogan's my boy. Like, he's not a racist, you know, F you UFC for pulling him. Like,
1: Yeah. It, it, I mean, let uh, me just finish with one, one big, thing, one big idea before we move on. And maybe we can pin it for a future episode that I, I mean, I would like to discuss it, but I think the bigger issue here is kind of about big technology and internet companies and what is described as Section 230. I don't know if you guys have heard it before, but Section 230 basically is a law that came out in the mid-90s, where you know, as the internet was kind of coming full steam, and I think there was kind of a lot of message boards and, and all of these different things, where a law basically came out and said that internet companies can't be held accountable for the things that other people come and post on their message boards or their platforms. And back then, it made a lot of sense because there was so much stuff being posted. The internet was like a relatively new thing. The organizations behind it obviously didn't have the scale and the expanse and the revenue and, and, and the people power to be able to, to, to do those things. But now we have situations where we have, you know, Facebook and Twitter where they kind of wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They basically, and I guess Spotify too, for that matter, um, where they want to hide behind Section 230 and they say that they're just a platform, but then they also want to assert their privilege to be able to cancel, deplatform, remove whoever they want based on whatever their agenda is or whatever policy they come out with. And it's interesting to me because I think that both Democrats and Republicans are trying to go after big tech, but in very, very different ways. I think Democrats are going after big tech because they want to see more censorship. And I think Republicans are going after big tech because they want to see less censorship.
0: Well, if Spotify cancels Joe Rogan, I'm leaving Spotify and I'm the hugest damn Spotify fan on the planet.
1: All right, let's move on. Critical race theory. All right, so I mean, I mean, I think we've talked about this in the chat you know, for a number of weeks. I know it's another kind of very sensitive issue um, around race and education, but there has been a lot of conversation in the past couple of years around critical race theory, around what is the correct or right way to be teaching about segregation and racism and the history of race of our country to students. Um, and I think a lot of right-leaning Republican states and legislatures and politicians have come out against critical race theory, whereas more left-leaning Democratic folks have come in support of critical race theory. Um, what are your thoughts on the role of critical race theory?
0: Before, we, g- Before we get into the, to what, what, what our role is, maybe maybe one of you guys can give us a cliff notes version of what critical race theory is and i some i don't know if somebody else besides wallace wants to tackle this danae
3: should danae should talk about it because i think he already had an understanding yeah did you talk about it you wanted to talk about this right i'll certainly
2: try um i cert i do want to talk about it i mean ask putting me on the spot to give a definition is uh you know, uh, fine, but it's not, can we, can we make it a tentative definition?
3: <laughs> All
2: right. I, I take, I take, um, the def, I take definitions seriously because they, they, they create the boundary from which we talk about it. Um, so, so tentatively, uh, it's, it's something like an approach, right? That um, many scholars were, um, you know, developing in the 90s. Um, you know, most of these scholars like had many of them had background in like legal theory right and they were trying to figure out um like if we're talking about that very movement right so i think i think more on how the, the term might reform refer to more than the movement but i guess that those those scholars they were interested in understanding why it was that racism seemed to persist in the world even though even after civil rights legislation even after all of the those court decisions were being made right by the supreme court uh, you know, striking down segregation and all of the civil rights legislation that followed, right? Like, why was it that racism seemed to persist? And part of the answer to that is that, um, you know, racism is structural. It's more than just individual bias, right? And, um, you know, other social scientists and theorists and stuff have picked up on critical race theory to develop it later, um, like beyond the 90s. But I think that the way that it's used, so let's talk about what it what it might. So that's that's the, the stricter definition. But I think that it's it also has to do with. I think that it refers to something much bigger. I think it refers to, to history before the civil rights movement, right? And it just has to do with a general approach that takes race into account, that takes like the history of, um, you know, con, um, the history of. Uh, you know, interactions between white people and black people in this country, like very seriously and about how that has played out in history through our structures and beyond, beyond just, you know, the structural uh, aspect of our of society. That's the best I got.
1: <laughs> Anybody want to add to that? Yeah, actually. Thoughts? Who wants to jump in?
3: Um. All right. Uh, I'll take a stab, I guess. I don't, I don't, you know, my my ex, you, Dinesh, I think, gave the, the uh, interpretation that I think, I think is probably, to me at least, it feels like this is all about an opinion almost, really, because CRT has started being coming, I don't know, changed in a way. People think of it in certain ways, but when I look at it, I look at it as like a, like a academic uh, endeavor in colleges and in, in grad school. I mean, that's where it started and that's where it should be. And, you know, you should, I, I mean, that's where we should be critical about it. When it comes into elementary schools and high schools and middle schools, it's kind of weird, I think, a little bit. I, but I'll give you an example of where I think it might have. I might have seen it recently. I mean, I teach tennis, and I taught some kids, and they were in public schools, a public school system, and they were wearing these T-shirts. And the T-shirts were black and white. It was their public. It said PS, whatever school was. And uh, it had uh, Black Lives Matter on the front of the shirt. And I remember one of the kids saying, we, we learned to march. I mean, a very kind of like a flipping, flipping thing that he said, and the kids are not like eight years old basically. And so I guess they're in second grade or something like that. But uh, the school is not, you know, in the heart of Brooklyn, right? So it's like in the middle, it's in a, in a, in a very uh, black neighborhood in Brooklyn too. So ultimately, um, you know, that's where I, I this is the, my first kind of experience of seeing and hearing what has been said, all right? Because when I taught in the schools, we didn't really talk about this stuff. And even in, I know that CRT wasn't there, but that was like seven years ago, eight years ago. So um, it's a little bit different. And, um, but there's my first experience of actually seeing it. And I, I haven't spoke to my nephews. My nephews don't, don't even know really about race. Like I asked them, oh, is your friend an Indian kid with his name, his name is my name. And I'm like, is that kid Indian? So, I mean, like these two different perspectives. Um, one of our private school and now public school, so anyway. That's, that's
0: my experience. Well, here's the definition by Wikipedia. Critical race theory, CRT, is a cross-disciplinary intellectual and social movement of civil rights scholars and activists who seek to examine the intersection of race and law in the United States and to challenge mainstream American liberal approaches to racial justice. For example, the CRT concept is one way to study how and why U.S. courts give more lenient punishment to drug dealers. From some races than to drug dealers of other races.
1: You know, let me jump in here. So, I think the question is, does systemic racism exist? And I'm reminded of kind of this axiom that history is ultimately written by its victors. And so, you know, to to make a very personal point, um, I found it very challenging to be an international school superintendent slash director as an Asian man, okay, Um, in a profession that is largely dominated by older white men. Um, I can only imagine how the few other people of color and perhaps women feel about it. And I think international education, which has largely been around since, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, has basically been controlled by largely these older white men. And so it's not difficult to imagine that the policies around hiring and firing and recruiting international school directors has largely been normalized by older white men and i also think that if you go to a school and you're interviewing for a position and you know a lot of things being equal then an older white man might get the nod over you so if you take that and then you kind of you know interpolate extrapolate that to the relationship between black people and white people in which black people were, you know, abused and tortured for many, many more years, and went through something called slavery, it's not difficult to arrive to the conclusion that, yes, you know, racism at a systemic level, in fact, does exist. And so I think there is some credence in critical race theory and the fact that we have some issues regarding race and our laws and our policies that we as a society need to unpack. I do think the question then becomes twofold. Number one, how can we do that while simultaneously acknowledging some of the progress that we've made over the past few decades? Um, Number one. And number two, what is the right way to be communicating this uh, in both ways to the students in our communities and the students in our schools. I'll continue.
0: Crickets. <laughs> um,
1: you know, and I, so I think so, with all of that said, I don't know, have you guys looked at the at, read something called the 1619 Project?
3: Yeah,
2: it came it. out.
1: It yeah. came out from the New York Times. It's it's pretty interesting, but I think the idea is basically that it's called the 1619 Project, if I'm not mistaken, because um, in that year there were um, there was a boat of slaves from Africa that came over to the United States, and you know it's asserted that that was kind of the beginnings of slavery in the United States, and that 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 has been questioned. Um, But there it's like this online magazine and there's different articles and passages in there. And let me read some of the titles for you. Um, We are committing educational malpractice, why slavery is mistaught and worse in American schools. America wasn't a democracy until black Americans made it one. American capitalism is brutal, you can trace that back to the plantation. How false beliefs in physical racial difference still live in medicine today, how the, what the reactionary politics of 2019 owe to the politics of slavery, how segregation caused your traffic jam. Why mm-hmm. did, doesn't America have universal health care? One word: race. How America's vast racial wealth gap grew by plunder. Um, one Whoa. of the other claims that has been made in this project is that the colonists, fought in the Revolutionary War against England or Britain to preserve slavery. Um, And that's, you know, I'm not saying that's wrong but that has been questioned by enough historians. So I do think that, and and then the other thing I'll say is the 1619 project, um, the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting basically started creating and offering lesson plans Around this project and some of the pieces that were put out, so that could be used in educational settings. So, while I do think that systemic racism exists, I'm also trying to look at it on the other side of somebody who's reading some of these titles and going through them. And then, kind of, some of the assertions that they're making about 1619 being the origins of slavery, and then also the Revolutionary War was started to preserve slavery. And I can understand where somebody would say, I think we're mixing ideology with fact, right? And I think we are blurring that line. And so maybe we need to take a step back and reevaluate that. especially how we deliver that in schools.
0: Great podcast, by the way, 1619. I think that line gets blurred in every, in every aspect of what we teach. I mean, I, I the numbers don't lie, though, in terms of, you know, there is some obvious systemic racism we were talking about. Uh, I know they gave the example of, you know, uh, white people being committed to the same crime, getting much lesser sentences. When we look at like, I I, as you were talking, I just pulled up also kind of the numbers in schools, you know, like, it it looks like about, you know, there's more female uh, principals in schools than male principals. But when you look at the distribution from white, it's 81% of all public schools, this is from like 2015, 2016, 81% are white, and 75% of females are white. And that leaves like, 8% 8% Hispanic, um, seven about 8% Black, uh, 3% others. So uh, is that a, a, a representation of our population and, and our schools? Not, not even close, right? And so uh, you bring up a good point, Wallace, with, you know, you and I w- worked internationally. Like, you're the only Asian school leader I can even think of uh, that was around <laughs> when, I was, when I was teaching in yeah. schools. Everybody I worked under was a white old man.
1: Yeah, I, I sorry, go ahead, Rick. go ahead, Dinesh.
2: Um, I'm going to be changing the subject a little bit. So you, you go first and then I'll, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I just, I guess what I would add to this is I think race has become such a sensitive issue um Especially following kind of the events of George Floyd a couple of years ago, which you know I you know is tragic and you know, terrible and you know shouldn't have happened. Um, and I do think that there 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 has been some pent up, you know, resentment and anger in communities that really, really needed to be released. Um, one of the books that gained a lot of popularity, after the events of George Floyd was this book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. I don't know if you guys have heard of that book before. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I read that book as a result of what happened with George Floyd. And I think one of the things that, while there's a lot of things that I agree in the book, I think one of the central theses of the book is that racism is either a black or white thing. You are either a racist or you can't stand by idly. You have to actually take anti-racist actions to combat to combat and rectify, you know, racist structures and racist actions and racist people. And I think that has gotten us into a situation where we are looking at things as black and white, and we're not looking at the gray, and we're not looking at the nuance, and we're not having discourse because it's if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong. If you don't take the position that I take, you're wrong. If you don't, you know, openly admit that X, Y, and Z happened, and A, B, and C are the results of X, Y, and Z, then you're wrong. And I think that we need more dialogue and discourse in our communities to talk about these issues openly rather than taking these very, very strong positions.
0: Well, it's hard, um, to, it's hard to talk about, right? I mean, just listen. I mean, we're, to, str- I mean, I mean, we're struggling, we're struggling talking about it right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the only so time there's ever been crickets on our, our show. Can I, I mean, it's- can I, bring,
3: can I bring up the way that um, there's just this thing, you know, talking about history, um, I think, you know, um, when we go back to the American Re- Revolutionary War, I mean, There is a part, a little part of that war that is about slavery, because the English are about to ban slavery. I get that, all right? That's just a little bit part. But when we talk about the Civil War, and when I was taught the Civil War, I remember there were five reasons that the South wanted to depart from, you know, they they wanted to secede. And none of them were slavery, okay? They were all, slavery is ultimately the reason why all these things existed whether they wanted to, like, uh, you know, they're losing their ability to, uh, to to send their goods to wherever they want, whatever it was, those five things. They were, slavery was always never taught, actually. It wasn't said that slavery outright was the reason, but we all know that's the major cause of why the Civil War was w- what happened, because there's no reason why South Carolina or, yes, yeah, South Carolina would secede if they couldn't, they they, 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 that slavery was going to be banned. That's the only reason why it's going to happen. And it's and not the only, but it's the major cause which causes all the other reasons why the Civil War existed. And it wasn't really taught that way in a Northern New York public school in Long Island. All right, so I mean, and even when I think we talked about it in AP US history, it still wasn't really discussed in the way it should be discussed. So that tells you something about way things are taught in high school, in a college level high school class that wasn't really ultimately discussed in I think the appropriate manner.
1: Dinesh, where are you gonna take us?
3: Um, Well, I'm thinking
2: about how, so if we mention the 1619 project, which I don't know that much about, um, but I have seen it for sure. um, It seems like, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is that I wonder why critical race theory specifically gets like appropriate, like gets used, appropriated or used, and like then, and, and then in turn dragged through the mud. Because it's clear that this is about something much bigger. It's not about that specific approach, you know. Um, it's about just taking race into account. That's what we want to do in schools. And, that, and if that's the issue... And if we don't, oh, and by the way, I, I, I've read a little bit of that book, Wallace, How to be an Anti-racist as well. It was in a teacher training actually that I read it, which is funny at, at BMCC. and if if we it seems to me, what was I going to say about that? It just seems to me that, yeah, there are all these opinions out there. We there's like this very stringent standard here in this book that's saying if you're not doing things that that actively oppose racism, then you're then you're being a racist. is that is that sort of what's being suggested there?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's
2: a very strong definition. Think about that. You know, um, whether or not we should try, try whenever we can to oppose racism at every turn. Right. Um, but I guess my point is, um, the point here is that in general, we should definitely do our best to oppose racism in society, promote education that helps, um, helps kids to understand kids and young adults, and uh, undergraduates and beyond better understand, like what, what Wallace's call, right? To, so that, that we um, do our best to, to try and create conditions to better understand our, our history and understand society. I mean, this is all very good, but I don't think that it, that it has to, we should think of it as an approach, whether we're talking about critical race theory very specifically or just an approach that takes race into account more generally. We need to, there, there are so many opinions that you can have And I don't think that we, I do think you're right, Wallace. I think Wallace, you're picking up on something really important here that I think sometimes people look at the most extreme views. They're looking at these views that say things like, like from the, probably from the 1619 project that say things like, oh, we don't have medical care because of the history of racism, you know, and it, it probably turns a lot of them off, but you, you don't have to believe in those more, those stronger, more extreme views in order to acknowledge your point Karen Kieran, that we need to change the way we talk, we talk about the history of the Civil War. I I actually thought that this was only a problem in the South, Kieran. I thought that in the North, people were able to own up to it a lot. History, his, history, the history teaching establishment in high schools.
3: You gotta you know, remember like, the text, textbooks, textbooks are created in Texas, right? <laughs> yeah, Everybody buys, yeah. right? Sir, right, at that time, at least, right? Everybody's buying textbooks from Texas. So ultimately we're getting, the history of whatever it is, or maybe the curriculum is just taught the way it is. And, you know, mm-hmm. you can't broach these subjects because of just national issues. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know why the teacher brought it up that way. Maybe it's yeah. because they didn't want to involve themselves in this topic, you know? Because I mean, I don't know, I don't deep know. I don't know if I agree
1: with that textbook assertion, Kieran. I mean, I know that obviously the larger states have a lot of say in textbook decisions because, you know, they make legislation around education and then textbook companies ultimately sell the state legislatures. Um, I think that a lot of states close to Texas geographically, ie maybe Mississippi, Louisiana, Oklahoma, often end up adopting a lot of the textbooks that textbook Texas ends up adopting. But I think states like New York and California, which are you know more Democrat and liberal um, have just as much clout as a state like Texas might
3: let me ask you a question when when did you ever know about what happened in oklahoma until maybe last year or did you ever hear about this the what? oklahoma riot race riots did you know about this when you were in texas when you grew up when did this happen 1920
1: no right no i did not learn you know, that you exactly. know
3: when i learned about it i watched the Watchmen series on hbo and that's the first time i heard about these real riots and it's, like, it's a very, real big topic. And it's not the first thing, right? Things happen in Harlem. Things happen all over the place. And I never even knew about these things. I never knew what Black Teent was, right? Or what, what I'm sorry, Feb, you know, February, then the, the holiday in which the slaves were actually sort of definitely done. I didn't know about this holiday. I didn't even know what it meant until I saw something on Netflix about it. So the truth of the matter is that I haven't seen any of these things. It never taught to me in school. And I didn't even hear about it in college. And then I hear about it in a show. It's very odd, but I understand that there's this yeah. history, that, secondary history that I didn't know about. I mean, let me, let me just
1: maybe conclude with, with maybe just a question. I mean, Kieran, Dinesh as two guys of color. Do you think that you have been affected and perhaps disproportionately affected by systemic racism in this country?
2: I'm glad you asked that question because there's there's a correction that I need to make, or maybe we all should just take it into account. I'm I'm putting it on me because I'm the one who came up with the definition, right? Um, you know, the the, the legal scholars that were coming up with this stuff and people who talk about race generally, you know, they're 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 black, they're you
1: know, correct, Latino,
2: they're they're Asian, right? It, these these scholars and the experiences they want to represent, um, as well as like theorize about um, in the, in the phenomenon, the, the phenomenon they want to theorize about. It, it's also about our experiences and our lives and, and the, how we fit into society. i needed to point that out. Sorry. That was, a, that was a drawback to my definition,
1: <laughs> you know? All right. So that's um, it. Let's answer the question. Yeah.
2: Okay. So I, you know, where, in what ways have I felt that my life has gone differently because I'm, yeah, I'm Indian. Do you, um, yeah.
1: Do you think there has been any policies that oh. have, you know, ha- have been systemically racist in nature, that have negatively affected, you know, you personally or professionally?
2: Wow. Um, I think that's a really great question. It's, a, it's one worth asking. And, and, and
1: I think, Ryan, while, while Donation, Kieran, chew on that, the question for you is, do you think that you have benefited in any shape, form or fashion from quote unquote white privilege.
3: Yes, let l- let me, let me just say, let me just say that there's one policy that probably affected my life by the US government more than any other policy. And that's the immigration form in 1966. That basically, that when they changed the immigration laws is basically what allowed me to live in this country because my father moved in 1968. Through, because he's a doctor. Now, do I personally feel that, that, so ultimately, actually, I think I have lots of privilege because of this, you know what I mean? I don't, I think it's the other way around. I think that our group, Indian people specifically, and I'll just refer to Indian people, that we have gotten, we, because of our own education background back to the day, because our parents came over because they were very well educated, gave us a step up in this country, Um, But it's not as if that my parents didn't suffer a lot right my parents suffered quite a bit in order to get to us to get to this point. But that's 70 years later, you know what I mean it's a long time period and I grew up in a pretty wealthy neighborhood just like I think um, several of us have not all of us, but we grew up in a pretty um, middle upper middle class middle class upper class middle class neighborhood and gave us some privileges and opportunities. And we all went to pretty decent schools. Although I don't know about Ryan, I don't know about you personally, but I know Wallace. We, well, myself, we didn't. I mean, Dinesh, our,
1: But I we mean, our, I mean, well, our property. I mean, we basically grew up in the same neighborhood. We went to the same elementary school, right, Dinesh? I mean, yes, I, I would. I mean, would you classify that as upper middle class? Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. What do you think? I. I mean, I. I wouldn't. you say wouldn't middle class then. I, I yeah, I classify class. that as middle class for Fine. sure. I mean we I mean, we, we, I, mean I, I yeah, I mean we certainly weren't wealthy back in the day by any means. But you lived
3: in the suburbs,
1: right? I did live in the suburb. Yeah, we okay. lived in a suburb north of Dallas. So but there's I mean, a little
3: difference. There's a difference I agree. between living, you know. So I, I mean, agree. Like, I mean, we weren't specific. living in the
1: projects, that's for sure. I mean, so I'm not that, saying that we were living in dire conditions, but I don't I wouldn't agree that we we're living in upper middle class to high Fine. class conditions. Fine, that's
3: that's that's the definition you can talk about. I'm just talking about we had a gritty, we had a pretty good upbringing, okay. right? And I think ultimately those upbringing provided a good uh, transition into college and whatever else, right? We had these opportunities, and I don't think necessarily I don't see myself as a person who was put down. Maybe there was some people that were racist against me, and maybe certain things were happening, or, you know. And but the thing is when I went to college, all I hung out with is with Indian people and Jewish people, you know what I mean? So I basically <laughs> found this group of people that I was always hanging out with and you always had, it always was good. You know what I mean? I never really felt it. There was occasional times, I went to Sugarland, Texas and we felt it, but it was just an individual thing, right? So yeah. ultimately I don't necessarily say, it. I think that things have changed in the time that we are and we came here and emigrated here. We weren't brought here. And brought here against our will so in a sense right so it's a little bit different well let me
0: let me step in here because i i I just i disagree with karen and and here's how i disagree you know my, my father's came as an illegal immigrant to the united states right and but he's a white illegal immigrant and went to school surrounded by illegal immigrants from mexico for example and because of simply his race. He was never thought of as someone different or someone that didn't have, that shouldn't have the same opportunities. And I I, I mean, I feel like I was really lucky that I was born a white male in the US. And I definitely think that I have received more opportunities than other people because of that.
3: But I'm also generalizing here. I'm generalizing my own experience. Your Ryan is your your experience is different. This is what Dinesh was saying is that every like it's an experience to your own. So Dinesh, I'm sure I'm not talking for you fully. I know that Dinesh though um, definitely feels probably that there are certain things that could have changed in his life, but I'm same with me. I I, I regret a bunch of things. But the fact is, is that I don't believe that I was prevented from getting a job or prevented going to university or prevented from this or prevented from that because of an institution. And I think actually. I, I think I just fit the mold. I, I don't think there was anything bad or good about it. I don't feel it. Yeah. But as we're, gen- individual as,
0: as we're gen- generalizing these things, you know, it's like we had, what was in the last few years when we've talked about all this illegal immigration, I remember my dad talking, he's like, nobody's talking about me, you know, like <laughs> they're only talking about the the Mexicans coming up from Mexico, right? They're not talking about, you know, illegal Canada- Canadians coming down to the U S to live or, uh, you know, people, I mean, we can go on and on about this, but I I, I do think uh, you have our provide, and, and, and the numbers don't lie, right? You know, we brought, I brought up the, you know, the people getting committed to, for crimes that the, they committed that are the same as a white person. Um, you know, you look at like the distribution of people in, in power and, and, and how it's largely white male Americans. Um, so... Yeah, I guess my point is, is I feel like I was given a lot more opportunity because I am a white male.
1: Nish, any I last words? To,
2: well, I think you Close should just the last because because we, I want to know what you what you think about your from your point of view. Um, you know, there's a way in which I can't help but kind of, if I'm honest to myself, I can't I can't help but think. I, I'm not disagreeing with you, Kieran. I think that there are ways in which I feel like, if anything, maybe I've benefited, maybe because I'm not a more oppressed minority, frankly, because I'm not Latino. And we, and you know, I grew up in a neighborhood in which there were, I was around many Mexican Americans, you know, many Chicanos, right? Um, it, yeah. And um, I also, but I will say this that there is a way, the only way that I would um, kind of qualify it, but it, it's kind of straying from Wallace's question, because Walls was asking about policies, right? Policy, something more structural but i would say that there is a way in which my more individual interactions with people historically have made me very aware of my race in a way that i don't even think that much about my race all the time because i'm i was born in the united states you know i'm actually kind of removed from india because um my parents were actually from an indo caribbean community right and so they're from america america right in the broad sense in the broader sense of the term and uh Anyway, so that, it gets complicated towards as as my individual um, development and how I, my experience, um, but less less having to do with policy per se. Um, yeah, anyway, I, that's, what I, that's, how I, that's what I'd like to share. Yeah, and so I'll we'll, just close uh, I mean sure. yeah. Well, I, yeah.
1: well I, mean, I mean, I do think that I have been affected by systemic racism and I, I gave an example as an international school director, um, but I think at a personal level, yeah, I mean, my experience, I mean, I just remember our childhood, Dinesh, Um, not, I mean, there was a few Asians, but there weren't really that many around. And you remember, I mean, my best friend around the time was Brian Brennan, because he lived down the street from me, white guy. And we would hang out all the time. And, you know, we were best friends. And then in middle school, that just kind of dropped off. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I, you know, as I got into middle school and high school, I never felt different. And possibly because I, you know, I was born and raised in in the States and, and had white friends. But as I became more and more socially isolated in middle school and high school, I did a lot of thinking about my own identity and who I was and trying to understand why some of my friendships had dropped off. And I became very, very aware that I looked very different than others. I became very aware that my parents. Their backgrounds were very different than others. I became very aware that whereas many of my friends' parents socialized and ran in the same circles, whether it was, you know, religious circles or professional circles or were simply friends, that I didn't, you know, my parents didn't run in those circles. And so, you know, whether those things are, are true or not, certainly I started doing a lot of thinking and theorizing about it. And I think it did and it has affected the way I think about myself even today.
0: I've never thought about what you just said. What do you mean? In oh, terms well, of, a, a, a term I've never, I've it. never had a, a reflection of like, hey, I'm not fitting in because of this. Right. It's, and, and, it's always and, and, been like, it's always if I'm thinking and you know, if I'm think back to middle school and things like that, it was like, am I not, you know, rocker enough, or am I not cool enough? But I never, mm-hmm. I never had that reflection of like.
1: Yeah. Does yeah. it have to and do you know, Ryan, with, I,
0: with, with with how I, you know, does it have to do with my race? I've never thought, like, I and, never thought about and
1: it. And I, I thought about this a lot. This goes back to our conversation at the very beginning of today when we talked a little bit about fatherhood and and children. You know, Philip's, you know, what is Philip? I mean, Philip is half Colombian. He's half, I don't know. I mean, am I American? Am I Chinese, right? So I guess he's half ethnically Chinese, half American. You're not Chinese,
3: you're Taiwanese. Remember that. Okay.
1: Well, we can talk about China, Taiwan <laughs> later, but, um, you know, and I, I think about that a lot in terms of his acceptance. And of course, I mean, he has friends here and he plays and, you know, kids, you know, I don't think kids see race. They just see friends that they want to play with. But I do think about from my own experience, and I think about him growing up, Who is he, who, in the, who in the world is like him? Who in the world looks like him, has a similar identity that he can relate to, and in some ways, I'm sure he'll have some benefits as a result of his upbringing, but in some result, in in some ways, I think he'll have some setbacks, and I'm very, very acutely aware of that and always monitoring and thinking about that.
0: Yeah, my wife's kind of a a very dark, complected Brazilian, right? and she she was talking to me the other day about that like when she like she never thought about it either. and then she was at school and they they I can't remember if they called her, you know, brown or whatever. and she she had that like realization, oh yeah, I do look different than everybody else in my classroom and it became something that she she had to think about, right? Um, and so I think it 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 created some. I guess some critical thinking of herself in terms of just the way, you know, just the color of her skin.
3: It's interesting you bring this up because, um, you know, my sister is, uh, you know, Indian and my brother in law is Ni- like Nigerian and white. And it, so the kids are very, very much mixed. You know, you, you can't explain who they are. You know, you can't fit them in a box, right? Which is very interesting. But then they don't even see, as I said, I think I was saying it earlier, is when I brought up, oh, there's a Karen, he said, oh, there's another Karen in my class. I'm like, Oh, cool. Is he also Indian? I said to him, and he's like, I don't know, you know, it doesn't it like it didn't, it didn't, but that was again, that was like when he was six or seven. So it was like a few years ago, but still it didn't register, you know, and like, that wasn't what was taught. Like they is almost as if everyone is everyone and it doesn't really matter. And I think ultimately, you know, it, the, the way you look is one thing, but I think if we all, if, if you interact with people that You have similar kind of drive, similar interests, similar things. I mean, that's why we at Wallace got along, even though we are, I think, I think we are diametrically opposite in so many ways, right? (laughs) I mean, I met Wallace and he was, you know, so diametrically opposite in his own political views when I first met him and he's now gone and gone back to those views. But the point is, (laughs) is that, you know, Wallace is a Texan. And I'm uh, an American New Yorker. I don't know what I'm going to call myself because Texan is a one thing, right? There To be a Texan is a very different thing than being American. And, you know, but we still get along. I mean, after however many years, we're still here hanging out, Wallace. You know, it's very interesting.
0: Yeah. You know, we, can't we all just get along uh let's 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 wrap wrap it up yeah let's let's talk about let's just talk about the Australian Open baby so uh, Ryan
1: yeah let me give you the mic because you you should have an opportunity to (laughs) gloat. so Ryan take it away
0: well as 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 many, many people probably don't know but we we created a bracket for the Australian Open and made our predictions and I was spot on for picking the final and picking Rafael Nadal as the winner of the Australian Open, 21 championships. Uh, and I know Wallace wants to put an asterisk to his name because Djokovic was not in the Australian Open. But uh, I couldn't have been more spot on with my bracket. I mean, that's all I'm going to say.
3: <laughs> How many points did, did you did you calculate in... our points? Did anybody do that? Because I was going to
1: do it right before. I didn't, but... I didn't calculate any points, but I'm sure Ryan won. So we owe you, you, owe you 20 bucks, Ryan?
0: Can I with you? <laughs> All I know is I got three out of four for the 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 semifinals. Uh I, I lost out on uh um Montfeu. Uh Montfies. You know, uh, I
3: just missed, I just missed Montfies by, you know, like a few games and I missed
0: uh who is the other guy?
3: Um um, not Sisapas, but the other on the other side. I missed two people by basically five set matches. Verrettini. Verrettini was, an But
0: that was one of the most epic finals in, yes. in tennis championship no, it's history. It's amazing. I, I mean, watched it was, from
3: start to finish. He was I started, it, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning I, and watched it from
0: start to finish. So anyway, yeah, he was getting his ass kicked. I, I mean, it's just an unbelievable turnaround. And, uh, I'm, so
1: are you going to now revise either one of your thoughts about the goat? Because yeah. on the last podcast here, you said that you thought Federer was the goat and I think you were in the Djokovic camp, Ryan. Um, are you prepared to amend that and say Nadal now is the greatest of all time?
0: Yeah, I mean, 21 championships. I, I think I think if Djokovic wins, you know, if they're tied, I would I would put Djokovic ahead of Nadal. Um, and I I think I think if Djokovic gets vaxxed and is able to play in the French and and the U.S. Open, I think he's going to get his 21st. I think well, he's that, more more that, driven. That's there. a better question.
1: Back. Is is Djokovic going to get vaxxed or are restrictions going to subside? Because we are seeing some rollback in restrictions. Um, I think so he's already. I think he's already gotten back. What do you, you think? Is, I, 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 think uh,
0: I, I think he's vaccinated. He I, vaccinated. He put in. He put in his. Uh, I, I. I. He did. He's like he. He put in for Indian Wells, which you can't even play right now. Indian Wells without being vaxxed. So like, he, you know, this has been. One of those things for Djokovic I mean the guy is the most competitive guy on the planet I can't imagine that he would put a vaccine ahead of just winning
1: yeah well I mean I think if you had serious medical concerns about being vaccinated then I would understand but I don't know I mean if what you say is true about him putting in for ending wells and that meaning that he's vaccinated then why did we go through all of this Australian Open drama? That's what I don't understand.
0: Because he thought he could get in. And he was assured that he could get in.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the bigger thing for me is that, yes, I think Nadal had a cakewalk draw. And I think Nadal will always have an asterisk next to this Australian Open. And, you know, he had a really, really weak field. Um, Alcaraz <laughs> should have clearly beat Berrettini you and clearly beat Berrettini and so played, Alcaraz should the, have taken Nadal. The dude out.
3: played the and best court player and Med, in the world. And
1: Medvedev should have closed that out. That was ridiculous. And so I, while I'm happy for Nadal, um, I don't think this is a real grand slam win to him. And I think Djokovic still has a better head-to-head record. Djokovic didn't participate in this one. Hopefully, it'll all be a moot point because Djokovic will participate in future tennis tournaments and end up with you know equal or more Grand Slams than Nadal.
0: All right, two more things before we go. Uh, first of all, Super Bowl picks for everybody, and then just give me one name that we could have for the podcast. Um, so as we're kind of going through for a Super Bowl picks. Um, think of just throw something. It's a brainstorm. It's it doesn't have to be anything we we choose. But I just want to think of another name besides TBD. Not because I don't like TBD, but also mainly because when I look in when I'm uploading these to Spotify and everywhere else, and you do a search, TBD is there's. There's just too many podcasts that are already to be determined. So, Super Bowl picks, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say the Rams will win. But, and Cooper Cup, who is from my hometown of Yakima, Washington, mm-hmm. is playing and uh, is uh, heavily supported by my hometown. I am rooting for the Bengals, though, because uh, I don't root for anybody that is a division rival. the, the yeah, C- so C- you're, C- you're C-
1: predicting. So you're predicting the Rams will win, but you want the Bengals to win.
0: I want handsome Joe Burrow to do it with uh, the the rookie of the year.
1: Okay, Kieran prediction.
3: Oh my God, Cincinnati is just like the Jets, right? Perennial losers, never getting there, never winning, except for one time we did. Um, to Cincinnati, dude, Joe Burrow is the freaking man. I love Joe Burrow can't believe how cool that guy is, how good he is. And um, I think the Rams are going to win. But I'm rooting for the Bengals hard.
1: Dinesh, do you have any thought on this?
3: Yeah, you're coming over later today.
0: Dinesh, you're you together. Gotta...
1: yo no, wait, wait a second. You're, you guys are meeting up for the Super Bowl? You're invited?
0: No, he's coming to my house for a Super Bowl Nice.
1: Party. Cool. Yeah. He, has a, yeah, he has a party.
2: I'm, I'm going to be there. I don't know much, and I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about the game, excited enough. I don't know. I haven't really watched the teams, but I, I always go for the underdog. Like when all, all things being equal, for sure, every time. Yeah, all day, every time. Yeah. So Lee, I, T- I, T- I think
1: Cincinnati will win, and I want Cincinnati to win.
3: Yeah. All right. So we're all Cincinnati
1: Bengals. That's where I am. Look at that. Very cool. Are we brainstorming things for the names for this podcast?
3: What if we all wear hats? And we're like educators with hats or something like that. Is that something cool? Ryan, you need to show up your hair. So you Wallace, but I'm just, I'm That's just putting it out there.
1: That's a terrible idea. Okay.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> educators with hats. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just putting, I'm just throwing something <laughs> weird, weird out
1: there. Right. Okay. I, do you I, want serious I do it serious or do you want to like? I, I, okay. Um, Dinesh. Mm. First thing that comes to your mind.
2: I think I don't have the name, but we could do something having to do with um different angles. Like we have different angles from which to talk about education. And it's so something having to kind of put that, putting that in the title somehow.
0: That view yeah well i'm kind of of, i don't really i and that's why i wanted to call this a brainstorm. i don't really have ideas for a name like if i think of like uh, like shit talking or whatever like i just you know first of all i want to look at i will any name we come up with i want to look and see if it's already been taken and then i i like the idea of thinking about it in terms of from the lens of like you know besides you all, we also have international perspectives come on here. So people that are living in other countries. So I like the idea of including something international and then diverse perspectives. I also don't want to pigeonhole into just education. I know we, we bring up education a lot on this show, but I also think it limits the audience to just people thinking it's all about education. And I think the education is kind of the lens that a lot of us see things through, but it's also something that's bigger than education. So I don't want to have school or education in the title. Mm-hmm. I mean,
3: Ting, Wallace, we're all, I mean, the other thing is that we're all connected through Wallace, right? Wallace, you are the moderator in a sense. Although Ryan, you're doing a lot of things. Maybe it's something to do with how we are related to Wallace and then the diversity of our opinions. You know what I mean? Something to that effect. like.
0: Ting, yeah, but see uh, that, that doesn't work because on the other shows, we have other people that Wallace doesn't
1: necessarily. That's true.
3: Know. Oh, you have other shows as well.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, we have the we well, have this a couple show. Of
1: Ryan's friends. Yeah, so maybe
3: yeah. it's Ryan and you. Maybe it's the two of you, and then you know something. Like
1: but that. it's not about
0: us. I mean, no, it's, yeah. no. Wallace,
1: I was gonna say edgy babble, but I heard your comment about you know edgy, which I babble. think is which is babble. smart to not have it. But I, I I like the idea of kind of like being Diverse a little babble. bit. Of, I like the idea of being a little self-deprecating in the fact that we are in effect babbling (laughs) Um,
0: yeah maybe i mean and maybe there's something that's educational that's sort of metaphorical right like in in a sense of like it's it it kind of represents education but it's not outwardly saying it
1: yeah i mean i I, I mean i mean mean the genesis i mean again i mean i think but i think it's important for us to understand like the 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 genesis of the podcast, right? I mean, I know Ryan and I started this, but you guys have been on enough. And I mean, we haven't even had that many episodes to be honest with you. But I think the point is that we just, I, I, I think that educators should have the ability to opine on a variety of subjects. And I think we're so scared of being politically correct. And we're so scared of being canceled that we're not, engaged in the discourse that we need to honestly to be able to move our society forward and I think that's kind of what this is about I also think that in the process of talking to you guys I really sharpen my opinions and I sharpen my perspectives and I learn a lot Um, not just from you but I learn a lot about myself and I think that's really important
2: no doubt yeah the same way. Um but uh the question I would ask is if we don't use education as our more specific something having to do with education is like our more specific category. What would that category what what would be the more specific category?
0: And I could be completely wrong. (laughs) You know know, I'm just I'm thinking of more of in terms of a marketing type of perspective. But I also think you know, you know, I'd have to actually kind of dig into the analytics of things and see, you know, is it a majority of, uh, and maybe that's what I'll bring for the next podcast is sort of look at the demographics, because I can see those things on uh, Anchor yeah. will be published too. Thank you, Anchor, for, for publishing. I,
1: I, I do like this subjective thing, you know, like maybe subjectivity, you know? Yeah,
3: so you like that? I'm just, I just throw something you know, out or like, there. You
1: know, like nuanced subjectivity or something ridiculous. You know what I mean? That sounds like a little witty. I don't know. about
3: discoursing subject like you use the word discourse quite a bit you know like you like to talk you you say about having teachers discuss but maybe it's like the subject subjective discussion the subjective discourse I mean it sounds kind of like uh kind of academic I, I don't think so but I think subjective is a good idea beyond black and white that's not bad
0: that's but, pretty good actually but I, I think I like you
3: that. know like
1: it's kind of cool that's because, actually pretty you know, good. if you do subject beyond black and white is not bad that is a pretty I mean, good one, su- I like subjectivity too because it's kind of a play on education, like subject. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, but I, I look at it in terms from a marketing thing, like how about I do you know, like 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 beyond black. Subjectivity. I do, be, I, I do be- like
1: beyond black and white. Oh like beyond
0: be- beyond subjectivity. How
1: about that?
0: Beyond no, that. I mean, that's just such a yeah. hard thing to market though. Like, you don't have yeah. to, you
1: know. I mean, I'm not sold on the subjectivity part of it. I do like beyond black and white a lot, especially I mean, work, since
3: yeah, works like this. We're not you, you, black or white. Yeah yeah it's actually true you know
0: what Ryan, I mean? where are you, what's your what's your actual background you said your father's he's my, dad, my dad's yeah i'm 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 british
1: but i mean he's white as white as white as
3: snow yeah, yeah okay so so but it's so it's not really but i mean like maybe we need another person in in the discussion who is um you know black honestly maybe we do need that
0: we do have our next episode we do have but, well, uh, we got my buddy
1: allen coming on he's black
3: okay so maybe that's actually i think
0: i think dude i think that's i like that one i'm
3: actually i'm i'm i think that beyond black and white is pretty good
1: yeah i mean beyond Beyond black black or white (laughs) shades of gray i mean we're
3: talking about there's a lot of grayness that we're talking about we're not trying to be black and white here right we're talking about the nuance
0: well you can't use shades of gray for obvious reasons oh
1: yeah because of that movie or whatever yeah (laughs) (laughs)
0: yes we could talk, like talk about S&M and, and, and sexual positions on our next show. Yeah. I got to
3: book a comment in the back.
0: Well, this has been a robust conversation. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's great to see you all. But I'm going to go enjoy my Super Bowl Sunday. And so, fuck off.
3: See you later, buddy.
1: Love you guys. Love you guys.
3: All right, Ryan, Thanks a lot. Be good. See you guys. have a again.
1: See